Good morning. My name is Dan Abbott. If uh, you do not recognize my face at all after the long absence of not seeing me, uh, I'm a member of the preaching team here at Philida Bible and uh, an elder as well. Um, and I get the privilege today of uh, teaching uh, to us uh, what God would have us hear. Uh, The preaching team has been going through the the letters of John, and right now we're finding ourselves in uh, 1 John 3, uh, 1 through 3. That's the verses we're going to be looking at today. And just so you know where we're headed, uh, we're going to be talking about family today. Uh, If you're like me, you have a family, you know a family, or you come from a family. And I, start, uh, I joined mine, uh, not my current one, it was my starter family, uh, back in 1982, and uh, it's been basically awesome ever since. Um, I uh, was, and still am, the youngest member of that family, and when I was younger, I can remember being introduced to people in the following manner. <clears throat> this is our youngest son. He's Daniel. And uh, people would look and think, oh, he looks just like his oldest brother. Um, that's, uh, Bill is my oldest brother, and um, yeah, I just look like him, but that's what I constantly heard every, every time. Uh, later years, high school was uh, pretty awesome, too, uh, because I would uh, get to a class, and a teacher would go, oh, another Abbott's. Uh, are you related to, insert one of my brother's names here? And the answer was always yes, and then my experience in that class seemed to be based on how my brother's actions were for that teacher. Uh, so it was, uh, it was good. And uh, I will say I am very proud to be an Abbots, uh, for no other reason than it is my family's surname. Uh, my point, though, is this. With the people who know the Abbott's name, there is a a certain connotation that comes with it. There's a certain knowledge. You you know what to expect with an Abbott's. My identity was uh, very very largely shaped by my last name, Um, not not with any uh, ill will or anything like that. I just let it uh, drive decisions that I made. I, I would think to myself, Uh, is what I'm going to do going to affect how other people see my family? Uh, What are my family going to think about what I am going to do? Things of that nature. Um, And it's not to say I always made wise choices based on that. Sometimes the answer was, I I don't care (laughs) what people are going to think. But uh, the reality is, is that my actions were driven by uh, those thoughts that I had, my, um, my feeling of what my identity was because of my last name. And maybe uh, you find yourself in that way. Do you, I mean, do you have that kind of a mindset where you, uh, you think about what, the, uh, what your family group, whether it's a, your family by birth or one that you chose, uh, do, do you think about uh, what they're going to um, think and, and have in mind. And my my uh, guess is that the answer is close to yes, um, just in some level. Uh, we all identify with a family, and 
I, I don't want to focus on in this message whether that mindset is a good or a bad thing, just that it is a thing that uh, we just need to acknowledge it, that uh, it is in our mind. So if we're not going to focus on mindset, what are we going to focus on? Uh, we're going to focus on one specific family, and that is the family of God, uh, the church, if you will. In fact, um, a lot of this message is going to have some uh, what's known as church ease. And if you're not uh, familiar with church ease, all that is is the uh, it's inside jargon. It's what people uh, who have been in the church for a long time they use really strange words. So uh, we are going to look at some really strange words today, uh, but just to see what, what it is about being in the family of God. So uh, let's define uh, family of God. What do we mean by that? We mean the family of God are those persons who have acknowledged sin in their lives who have confessed that sin and accept the death of Jesus as punishment and payment for said sin and now walk in relationship with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, while the benefits of being a part of our respective families uh, may have, um, you know, with our surnames and whatnot, while those benefits may be cool, there are some pretty awesome benefits to being a part of the family of God as well. Which brings us to our verses for the day, 1 John 3, 1 through 3. And uh, John here is, uh, this is something we need to take hold of, something we need to really see. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason the, the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure." So what are these benefits that we have that we can reap from being in God's family? Well, the first one is uh, one of rejoicing. We get to say it again. So I will say it again. We get to rejoice. If you are a believer and have been, in, uh, been walking with Jesus for a long time, you may hear these verses, and it might even, you might have even read through them and read them with all the, the vim and vigor, the, the enthusiasm of Eeyore the donkey. Uh, so when you come to these verses, you, you either read it out loud or hear it, and it's, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, because that's what we are. And it just, it doesn't have the weight. Maybe we've heard it too many times, or maybe uh, it's just, we just gotten numb to it. I mean, even in prepping this message, I, did, I read these verses a lot, and it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, children of God, got it. That's what we're called. And so it just loses its impact. I think it's because we, we forget who the one that is giving this gift, this, um, who is calling us, we forget who he is. So as a reminder, it is, it is Yahweh, the creator, 
God of heaven and earth. He made the universe in six days, rested on the seventh. He, uh, he breathed life into a formed pile of dirt, and it became a man. After his creation rebelled, he then made provision for them, uh, even after they deliberately disobeyed his commands. Moving on, he then rightly judged the world by flood, saving only eight people and a literal boatload of animals. Further on there, he then confused human language and caused us to split into different nations. And then out of those nations that were were made, he chose one man out of there and told him to go to a place that he didn't know where he was headed and promised that man and his wife that they would have so many descendants it would outnumber the stars. And the funny thing about that is those two didn't have any children at all. They eventually did have a child, and that child had a kid, go fig. And you get this whole nation that was birthed out of them, and this is the God who rescued those people out of Egypt, who then led those people by his prophet, giving them the law so they would know how to draw near to God. Then... Those people disobeyed and rebelled against him, and he still kept his promise to do that. After they continually disobeyed, he was faithful to them. Centuries later then, he comes to that people in the person of Jesus Christ. He is born as a man. And that is Jesus of Nazareth. That is the God. This is the God who has called us his children. This is a reason. This is cause to rejoice. This is not some flippant thing to where it's like, yeah, I, you know, I belong to the Abbott's family. My, my parents birthed me, gave me their name, and now I have a kid and I gave her my name. It's not that kind of thing. This is something to be awed at. Sinners being called children of God. He is a holy and amazing God and that we should be called his children. John John picks up on that. He says, look at this. Look at this. This isn't a guess at who we are. This is a firm statement. It's a solid fact. John is saying, see, look at this. Behold, we are his children because he has called us that. The benefit of rejoicing in this is that we get to remember what God did to bring us back to himself. There was a sacrifice. We can rejoice him now individually when we remember this. We can rejoice corporately as a body of Christ. That's another one of those churchiest terms. It just means as a group of uh, people gathered, we can worship him now. It's important that we do so. And in that, that brings us to our our second um, benefit that we can reap here. It's encouragement. Uh, so a second one is encouragement here. Uh, I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. Uh, not not very, very many people know this. Abbotses are weird. Uh, there's just no other way to say it. Uh, we are a weird group of people. You can ask my wife uh, just when our, we have family gatherings. We sing during musicals, like all the parts. doesn't matter. We just sing, dear them. We sing around the house. 
we quote obscure movie lines that nobody gets at really weird times. We laugh at the same, uh, I call them witty, some call them witless jokes, uh, after being told numerous times, and uh, we say awkward things out loud many times. And uh, finally, we're really lousy at picking up on social cues, uh, like stop talking when you shouldn't be talking, that kind of stuff. Now, Maybe your family is like that too. Maybe you are like that. Uh, so in my defense, maybe Abbots's aren't all that weird at all. And, and a lot of times, those, um, those traits, uh, those experiences that people have, they can be taken out of context too if, uh, if you're, you're not in the right mindset of what's going on. And that's when it gets really awkward. So when that happens, just as an Abbots, as being me, I'll just say Dan, as being Dan, when that happens, when I see a familiar face who actually knows what, I, uh, what I'm doing and what I'm talking about, that, that is an encouragement. Because like, oh, they get me. They know who I am. Dan, that's great. But what's that have to do with First John? We were just talking about how great and awesome God is and now how that should lead to rejoicing and encouragement. This is where it is. There are some stark parallels between uh, being a Christian and then also uh, what might be weird about your family. First off, Christians, they sing all the time at all the parts. They quote obscure ancient scriptures. They laugh at what I think is witty, but some people think is witless humor. I will give you an example. How does Moses make his coffee? He brews it. And if you laughed at that joke, you're proving my point. They say awkward things out loud. Christians can say awkward things out loud. And finally, we can be really, really lousy at picking up on social cues. Staying silent when we need to speak and speaking when we need to be silent. That's, that's the camp I find myself falling into. Following Jesus and being in God's family is not always easy. Oftentimes it is very, very challenging. And we, in obedience to Christ, look very different from the world that we live in. Remember that whole love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you thing? Don't repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. There are these things that we, we have to obey. The uh, very touchy one of submitting to governing authorities. Those can be hard. Submission, uh, submitting rather to who we need to submit to. These things sting we also are commanded to speak the truth in love, to do these hard things. Not always uh, do we obey Christ, because it, it does, it gets awkward, it feels weird. And whether we are doing those things, whether we are uh, obeying Christ or not, there is a world that is watching. And if we are obeying Christ, it can be very odd, and people can look at you and say, I don't understand why you're doing this the way you're doing 
And in those moments, it is a good comfort to see someone else who is in the family of God, who struggles with the same things that we struggle with. To, to have someone see us and recognize, yeah, man, it is hard to obey Christ. It is very hard. So we have this thing of um, being in the family of God. Do you know what the, the parent-child relationship is? It's, uh, it's one of imitation. When I lived with my parents, I imitated what they did. I watched what they watched and everything that way, and, and I spoke the language that they spoke. My daughter now does that same thing with me. She imitates my wife and I. And so we are called, as children of God, to be imitators of God. And frankly, it looks really, really weird sometimes. Like I said earlier, the encouragement comes by seeing those family members. And when we fail, the encouragement also comes from seeing grace in action. We get to see uh, Forgiveness, where we may not otherwise see forgiveness. The, uh, the world, I don't know if you've noticed, is kind of short on the grace aspect, on supplying mercy. I mean, we have an adage that mercy is for the weak. I guess I'm weak, or try to be. We need to encourage one another uh, when we are in God's family. Uh, to do love and to have love and to do good deeds. Paul, the Apostle Paul tells us to spur one another on in love and good deeds. And spurring doesn't sound like much fun. Um, sounds like even in the family, uh, it's not always the, the greatest and the most uh, happy thing to be. And that can bring us honestly to our... Um, our third point here, before I get there, though, I do want to touch on, um, on one thing uh, that the Bible talks about. It's that, um, well, it's in these, in these verses, too, that we will be like Christ. So uh, in that, we have this anticipation, and that is the, the third benefit that we reap, is this anticipation of being like Jesus. The Bible says that uh, Christ, that Jesus, was the firstborn among many brothers. Now, while we don't have the time here to really delve into that, let me tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean that there are other Christs. Jesus is the unique, the one-of-a-kind Son of God who takes away the sin of the world through his death and brings new life to those who believe in him. That is his role, and that is his job. Nobody else gets to do it, just Christ. This is what makes him awesome in every sense of the word. So the aspect that John sees here in verse 2 is he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. The anticipation we have is that when Jesus comes again, we will be made like him. We will be made perfect. 
And I've said a few things in life are pretty perfect, but in this fallen world, nothing ever is. But when Jesus comes back, it will be perfect. And on that day, perfection will be everywhere. It will be awesome. And we anticipate this happening. You, you may have heard it said that the anticipation of something is better than the thing itself. I guarantee you in this instance, the thing itself will be better than the anticipation. I desperately want Jesus to come back. I want him to correct all the wrongs. I want him to make things new. I really, really want to see that happen sooner than later. But in the meantime, we get to wait. And we get to wait with each other if we are in the family of God. We get to experience that grace. We get to extend that grace, just like with, uh, when we were talking about encouragement. We have to because we know that that brother or sister, they are in eager anticipation of Christ coming back too. They want to see us made perfect as much as we want to see them made perfect. It's that idea. And so we, uh, we can pray better for them. We can, um, uh, we can empathize with them. We can hear the longings of their heart and, um, and really share life with them. So we've seen a lot of other benefits to, re, uh, to reap. We've seen uh, rejoicing, encouragement, uh, anticipation. The final benefit I see here is, uh, in being in the family of God is one of purification. So what is this purification that he's, that he's talking about here? Uh, as we trust and hope in what Jesus has said and done, uh, we want to think of this as a, as a refining process. So in your mind, think of something like gold or silver, where you melt the metal down and it burns off the impurities, and others come to the surface and those get scraped off, and that's how it's made pure. And that's good for a mental picture, but what does it practically look like? What are the, what are the nuts and bolts of this, um, of this purification process? So in, uh, in the book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, uh, there's a section, uh, more churches, that we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's where Jesus did a large section of teaching. And in that, <clears throat> in that section, he says a lot of phrases like, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And there's, there's one section where he is talking about lust and adultery. And he, he says that, uh, that those who commit it are lawbreakers and they are liable to judgment. And you're like, all right, well, you know, never committed adultery, so I'm good. And then this is, what, this is the purification part that Jesus does for it. He kicks it up one notch higher and says, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. Oh. He also talks about murder and how if you murder someone, you are held liable to judgment. And you're like, all right, I've never killed anybody. And then he talks about if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, you've already killed him in your heart. Jesus, this is two for two. I'm failing at this thing. And he goes on, on with these different examples of hey, here's what you've heard it said. And then he takes it up to this next level. And you're like, I can't reach that. 
Congratulations, we now know what the point of the law is. The law shows us that we are incapable of doing these things, and we need to be purified. So how is it that we can, um, how is it that we can be pure then? Trusting and obeying in Christ and what he said, relying on his work. He actually died in fulfillment of the law. As, as Jacob was talking earlier, he had the wrath of God poured out on him. He took on the sins of the world and like all of time. I can't imagine just the, the magnitude of that. But for him to hold that on his shoulders as he hung on the cross, to experience the rejection and the separation from the Father of, of paying a price that I should have paid for my sin, the price that, that you should have paid for your sin, is staggering. He fulfilled the law for us, and when we trust in him, when we place our hope, that hope that John is talking about, that is what purifies us, relying fully in the work of Christ. So these benefits that we reap of being in God's family far outweigh anything that we could ever have or experience here on earth with our surname or with the group of friends that we hang out with. To be in the family of God is a good, good thing. So if you find yourself in the family of God, remember these benefits that you can reap that you get to rejoice, that you can encourage, that we anticipate Christ coming back, and that we are purified. These are awesome. So if you find yourself outside of that family, if we are not there, how do, how do we get in? It's a, a good question to ask. If you're interested in that, uh, if you're watching here online, you can comment in the... Uh, in the comments below, that you want some more information, you can call our church office. If uh, a link was shared with you or um, you're here in person in the gym, talk with the person you came with or who sent you the invitation or the link. We want you to know. I'll tell you right now even. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess your sin. And he will make you right with God. He will bring you into the family. And then what John says, hey, hey, look, God has called us his children. Look how much he loves us. This is amazing. Be a part of this. Mm. It is good to be in the family of God. I want to see more brothers and sisters in this family. Let's pray. Hmm. Father, you are good. That you would let us call you, Father, that you relate to us in that way. Father, I, I know that uh, I, am, I am not perfect now. I am nowhere near it. But I thank you for the work of Jesus that we can know you, that we can look to him, that we can follow his example, that you are turning us into the very character of your Son. 
Father, I pray for those of us who have known you for a long time relationally that take it for granted, that just glance over these verses and not feel the the weight and the impact of them. Father, I pray that you would uh, stir and wake us up in that. I also pray for those who are listening that may not yet know you. I pray that your spirit would be with them, that it would, he would awaken in them something to know more, that they would ask the questions, that they would see how good you are. Father, draw them to yourself. I pray for those friends that they may talk to, Father, that you would give them wisdom, that you would save many, many lives today, Father. It is for your glory that we do this. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.